Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is Toni Morrison. We die. That may be the meaning of life. But we do language. That may be the measure of our lives. Our voice is a reflection of our life experience, where we've been and who we've listened to. But we can also own it and even change it if we want. This is the podcast that's all about the voice, but it's also all about power, who has it, how we get it, and how we sound when we have it. I'm Samara Bay. I'm a dialect coach for actors in Hollywood on projects like the upcoming Wonder Woman sequel. And I'm also a speech coach for entrepreneurs, politicians, creatives, and women everywhere who need to use their voice to get what they want. Welcome to Permission to Speak. Let's do this. Today's guest is Dawn O'Porter. Uh, that's O apostrophe Porter because she married Chris O'Dowd and did a very contemporary thing. I know, a portmanteau is what they call it in Fancyland. Dawn is a friend of mine. She's a British novelist living in Hollywood. And also, I think of her as a social media star, <laughs> which we will talk about. Her latest book is called So Lucky. It's a Sunday Times bestseller, which is sort of the, as you'd imagine, British equivalent of the New York Times. And it's about the facade of perfection that modern women accidentally construct for themselves. So we'll be getting into that. I wanted to have her on because she is truly one of my favorite Instagram presences. And I'm interested in what that is, like sort of the public performance of authenticity with maybe quotes around authenticity. But I find her online persona to be really accessible, yet really aspirational and really messy and yet really adult which is super inspiring. And we dive into what it takes to make that happen in this interview. Plus, we get into the discipline side of channeling your voice onto the page. She also spent her 20s in front of the camera on British television, starring in popular documentaries about subjects like starving yourself to reach the ideal weight and the up and downsides of polygamy. <laughs> so 
So she has a long history of being incredibly revealing in front of the lens and also of being the creative decision maker of the content that she puts out. In this episode, we also talk about boundaries. I recently heard Brene Brown say that a good definition of boundaries is literally just what's okay and what's not okay. So finding that for ourselves, especially in terms of our public persona. And we also talk about the benefits of motherhood to making yourself right, which I always like to have that conversation. And the secret to holding the microphone at an event and talking like a real person. Here she is. I feel like I've just got to 41 and worked out how to use my tricks without being a pain in the ass in the room. But back then I was just bullshit. Do you think that came about because of merely age? Yes. And also just realizing what is annoying in other people and being like a heckler in a room isn't actually that funny and learning when to be funny and when to be not. And also the just the realization and the comfort in, I don't have to walk into every single room and have everyone notice me and like me. My exhausting need to be liked was something that was that drove that all the time. I want everyone in this room to think I'm funny. I want everyone in this room to think I'm smart. And now I just think kind of age, maturity, marriage, and being a mum and having kind of ticked off a lot of career boxes, just can't really be bothered and, anymore with that. It's not so important. I feel like this is like a recovery club that I mean, um, yes. that um, we could maybe... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the I don't need to be invite the others into recovery club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, also, it'd be like a really cool club to be a part of. Yeah. <laughs> We're in it, Samara. <laughs> we are the leaders. I, there's so many places I could go, but I'm actually going to go back to mm-hmm. the top. So, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here. Okay. So, my very first question is really just totally self serving, which is what have you learned about podcasting from hosting? What a lovely question. I mean, you know, you're the expert. Um, To let people answer your question, I think one of the things that you do when you start off in hosting, which is something that I've definitely learned over the years, is when you've asked a question, give them space to answer. And I think that's the best you can do when you're hosting a podcast, really, is just to like indulge in your guest and let Mm -hmm. them be your guest. I've also learned to not be rigid. Mm -hmm. And when a conversation goes in a direction, even if it wasn't what I was expecting, to just roll with it, because I think that's the best kind of journalism that you can possibly create is when you follow a story or a moment and I love all that and also just to be interested in people like really really interested which is which connects to the other part of the question I think which is this is totally self-serving although I hope it is relevant for listeners as well but how do you come up with questions I mean have you found that you really just want to ask like what really comes to mind I think the most actually you want to know the answer to yeah I also I don't plan questions beforehand. Mm. Got like two things that I know that I can bring it back to if it's going dry. <laughs> and that's I have that. But I always just think I'm really good conversationalist. Mm. So take the microphones away, take the headphones away, take the pressure of interview away. What would I want to talk to this person about in the pub? And that's it. And just have a conversation. And I think as soon as I start thinking of it in terms of like a, an interview where I have to get this stuff, mm. the podcast kind of loses its its charm a bit. I used to do TV where I was actually like interviewing people and you have to, for the sake of the segment, have, you know, a plan. That's very different from podcasting. I think the joy of this medium is Mm. that you can just freestyle and be interested in people and ask whatever comes to mind. And that, you know, also you're in a situation where at the end, I had one of my friends on my podcast. She really opened up to me about how she felt about being a mom and it wasn't all rosy. And I just said to her at the start, just talk to me. And we'll have our conversation. And at the end, if you're upset about anything that you said, 
we'll take it out. It's fine. Yeah. But generally, when you offer someone a kind of comfortable space yeah. and you're not firing them with like big journo questions, mm-hmm. they don't really say anything they didn't want to say because it's all it all feels in context and yeah. quite relaxed. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because a few times you've mentioned the term journalism and it I feel like I'm coming at this from like, I'm not a journalist, uh-huh. right? I mean, I'm a practitioner in a certain industry that has nothing to do with journalism. And then I'm also curious about humans and interested in sort of building a reference library of how people think about their voice. So yeah. that is the part that feels like it is, there's a story I'm following. But I don't know, it feels kind of liberating to be like, I'm not a journalist and I'm certainly not like a gotcha type of uh-huh. journalist who's like looking for the truth at the expense of the trust of the human in the room with yes. me. I think... Journalism is such a broad title Mm. and there are so many different ways to be a journalist now, podcast, blogging, Twitter. If you're reporting Mm -hmm. on stuff that's going on, if you're commenting, we're all kind of journalists now. It's it's just, it's got very broad. So I use it very broadly. Mm. I used to make these TV shows where I would kind of go into a a situation like Mormonism, for example, Mm -hmm. and go and live with polygamous Mormons in Utah. A lot of your documentaries are available on the web, by the way. They are, they are. Don't watch them. I had terrible hair and outfits. It was a long time ago. (laughs) It's a a time capsule. (laughs) Yes. But um, I would also kind of put myself through an an immersive experience while doing it. So I would live with them and live as them. And I always found being called a journalist really embarrassing because I was Mm. like, I'm not a journalist. That's what people on the news do. When people call me a journalist, I start to feel like a real imposter. I can't call myself that. If anyone ever introduced me as a journalist, I was like, oh, that's a bit awkward. Can you just call me like a host, presenter? Mm -hmm. And then I had to find my ease with it because I was, I am going into a subject that the people watching don't know about and I am finding out about it for you, which is all journalism is. And you sitting here interviewing me is your listeners won't have a clue who I am and you're finding out about me for them, you are being a journalist. So I think it's a very broad title. Well, and you bring up something very specific to you, which is that when we're a host or a presenter, often we're doing other people's copy. Mm-hmm. We're fulfilling the needs of somebody above us. Yes. And your entire career has been driven by what interests you. Yes. And the questions I want to ask. Yeah. But always the person sitting on the sofa at home watching didn't know it before. And therefore I have been a journalist. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's... um. Yeah, who, who, I mean, who cares what the title of what we do is? I mean, I'm somewhat obsessed with it because, like, what I do, there's sort of a missing term there for it. There is a missing term. It's funny, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, what What are we? <laughs> <laughs> Just to, like, Well, actually, okay, so that gets me really to my big chat. next question. So your book that came out recently uh-huh. is called So Lucky. Yes. And there's a podcast collection of interviews with largely women about the topic of a lot of things, but about the topic of luck. Yes. And how they have, what their relationship is to the concept of luck and how it has or hasn't played a role in their accomplishments. And it's made me think about the fact that I think a lot of us who are playing in similar spaces right now, which when I say that, I think I kind of mean like how women slash people come into their own, like what this sort of self-actualization thing is in like 2020. A lot of us who are interested in this similar stuff are finding what our lens in is. And I'm using, I'm very much using the voice, both the literal how we make sound that like lands on other humans and also much more the metaphorical how we have figured out what matters to us and how we talk about it. I'm using the voice as a lens to talk about so much societal stuff having to do with power and how much space we're taking up and how much we believe ourselves. And I feel like Luck is another lens into that. It is. It's quite an interesting subject because it kind of feels slightly trivial until you really talk about it. Like, I just watched the documentary for Summer. 
it's a documentary filmed by a mother in Aleppo who's basically just trying to keep her daughter Sama alive and away from the bombs. And the, her and her husband set up hospitals and tried desperately to help people. And it's impossible and it's awful. And it's honestly the most harrowing but magnificent piece of filmmaking mm. because it's so personal. And I believe if everyone watched it, it would actually make the world a better place. Yes. Anyway, my response from watching it is, God, I'm lucky. I am so lucky just to have been born where I was born, to be, to, I'm just, everything about my life is privileged. Everything in terms of just the opportunities that I have and stuff that I didn't ask for, I didn't do anything for. I'm just so bloody lucky not to have been born somewhere like Aleppo, where my daily struggle is literally avoiding death. And um, in that way, we're all so lucky. In other ways, I slightly resent the term luck because I feel like I'm a real grafter. I was brought up on a tiny island just off France where there was no opportunity. And I went on to now have a career. And you had a really early tragedy. I did. I lost my mum when I was just a couple of days before I turned seven. Like the odds weren't massively in my favour. And I left the island. I went to Liverpool, went to drama school moved to London on my own, and now I live in Hollywood and I work in the industry that I said I was going to work in when I was 12. And that's taken graft and hard work. When people tell me I'm lucky, I'm like, I'm not lucky. That's yeah, not fuck luck. You. That is, that's like persistence and just, you know, not giving up. Because there were a couple of years when it was a disaster and I could have given up and didn't. And I see my husband, Chris, who's an actor, who was raised in a very small town in the west of Ireland and is now like making movies and writing TV shows, that none of that's luck. Yeah. Because I think you can be presented with a situation in life that might come across as lucky and what you do next is what makes that happen or not. So it's an interesting subject, way more interesting than I thought it was going to be before I started the podcast. That's what I was going to ask. Has your feelings about luck changed from listening to yeah. other people's sort of grappling with it? It has, because most people will start just as I did, saying I'm lucky to be, you know, born where I was born and not be, you know, fleeing war and all of these things mm -hmm. that we all know we're lucky for. And so then you think, all right, well, I hope that's not your only answer on luck because um, we all know that already. Mm -hmm. But then, as, you know, the conversation goes on and people look at luck in terms of their own personal life. Some people have experienced tragedy. One of my guests lost a child and she still considers herself lucky because as a family, they're getting through it and she's got two other healthy children. And that's an amazing take on luck. Like a lot of people could be, I'm the unluckiest person in the world because that happened. So you see how someone's perspective drives them and luck does play a part in that. So it's a good subject. I mean, I... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the thing that I was thinking about, and I want to go on to talk about other ways that your voice has played a role in your life in terms of in your writing, mm -hmm. but to sort of tie this up, I feel like it matters to say that the way that women think about or have been sort of conditioned to think about luck as a way of explaining their accomplishments mm -hmm. serves a certain social purpose of making us sort of come across as humble and making yeah. us maybe the the really real way is making us remember our privilege, which matters. But we can't let that be the whole story or it will seem like our accomplishments weren't our own fucking hard work. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so you're a writer. In your 30s, after a career in front of the camera, you switched. And it seems like you sort of found yourself. How do you decide what to write about? Like, what feels risky? Well, you know what I mean? Writing is like, uh, apart from the fact that I feel like I've given myself a lifetime of homework, um, which is how it feels. Why do I have an essay to write every day? What an amazing opportunity in life when you feel like you've got a lot to say. And it doesn't always have to be 
it's not always my perspective. I've got a lot of thoughts. I think about people. I see things in other people and I get to put all of that down in a book. Like writing fiction was the most liberating thing ever. Mm -hmm. I never thought I'd write it until I was an old lady. <laughs> kind of, and I thought, oh, I'll have a stab at writing some fiction. I always thought I'd write nonfiction because that was literally me, literally my voice, literally mm -hmm. my opinions, my thoughts, my experiences. And when you write fiction, you get to go out there into the world and take every example of every kind of person that you're interested in and put it into a book. And I mean, it's so fun to do that. And you feel you can touch so many more people. Like my readers will say that they relate to different characters and being able to give them a character that they relate to, that they see themselves in, that maybe triumphs in the end, you know, against all odds, whatever it is they're battling with is Oh, it's just an honour to do it. You know, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to do. It's very, very addictive. <laughs> and my bravery comes with knowing that it's not real life, but I can push my characters to limits that real people do experience, but maybe don't necessarily talk about. And when you've got fiction as your tool, you know, it justifies a lot of stuff. There's a lot of memoirs out there. There's a lot of really good, brutally honest ones. There's a lot of memoirs that don't really go under the surface of an experience that happened. They kind of allude to it. They mm. say it happened. In fiction, you get to just take the veneer off and get stuck right in there. And you're talking about like sexual things and awkward things sexual, and body things. Yes, body stuff, sexual stuff, just stuff that we all experience. When you write fiction, characters in first person, that's someone's thoughts. Now, no matter what a person or a woman says out loud in real life, there is a million things behind those words that are unedited in her head that maybe she feels like she can't say. When you're writing a character in first person, you have to go there. Otherwise, you're not in someone's head. And that is so fun. And that's where the bravery comes from, is just being honest. I might walk into a room and look at a woman and not like her outfit. I'm not going to say that out loud, but it's in my head. Mm -hmm. And in fiction, I have to put that thought in the book because it's honest. And so you get to kind of not be polite, not have to worry about offending anybody and just be really brutally honest. And I mean, uh, that's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about how you in your own life have sort of dealt with what you're talking about, which is the sort of the voice on the inside versus what comes out on the outside. Uh -huh. Because I think a lot of people who follow you on, especially Instagram, which is like my medium of choice, would say you're sort of combining those things uh -huh. in a really authentic way. <laughs> I'm going to talk about authenticity. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I mean, so social media, Yes, it's like expanded to become, I think, sort of a really legit part of your like career. Yeah. Like, what is that? And how do you navigate how much you share? I mean, it's such a weird thing. I'm a real oversharer by nature, but I'm also quite private. So I've never posted a picture of my children. Mm-hmm. I have like a flat rule about mm-hmm. that. In fact, once I um, posted the back of Valentine's head and it was fine, like you can see his face, but I've felt really bad about yeah. it later that day. Yeah. And um, that's for a number of reasons. And I also don't really go into any detail about my marriage. Mm-hmm. And people think I'm really open and that I say everything, but actually you'd be kind of hard pushed to see my house really, or it's all quite, it's all, it's all quite edited in terms of, I'll be honest about me and things when I'm out and about, whatever, but I, I really don't overshare in terms of personal life. It's like you've you've really cracked something in terms of, I mean, the term that just came to mind when you were talking is curated authenticity. Yes. Which obviously sounds like a, you know, an oxymoron. Yeah. But that is the thing. Curated meaning I have privacy. I have boundaries. Yes, very much so, which I think you have to have. You know, I actually like seeing pictures of other people's kids on social media because I love children in Mm -hmm. that way. But I am surprised when like, what very well-known people just go straight in with that because we don't know what that's doing for the kids yet. My oh, yes. my idea of like my kid going to school and having a like a profile. Well, and, and just, also I, our generation, we there was no anything until we were like eighteen, no, which was no, no, perfect no. timing. Yes. Well, there's a long-running soap in um in England called Coronation Street, and in our school, one of the girls in the year above me was a baby on that show, and I remember us all just being like. God, isn't that amazing? And she was a goddamn baby on that mm-hmm. show. She wasn't she wasn't an actress. Mm-hmm. And um I remember because I wanted to be in the public eye back then, just kind of seeing her as other and how exciting that was. And I'm like, God, now you can actually like go to school and be a legit celebrity through your famous parents' Instagram feed. And then you're not just a normal kid. So that's, you know, a big reason is to do it. And also, I don't know if my kids are going to want to be in the public eye. Right, it's I was going to say, you can also go to school to and be a, a celebrity child of your own volition if you have your own stuff. Yeah, but that's exactly. a really different choice. If they want to be in this industry, then that's one thing. But I don't know if they're introverts or extroverts now. And I, it's not up to me to give them a, you know, to give them a celebrity status. So very kind of private about that. And I am, I, I, you know, I sometimes think of it without, what was the phrase you just came up with? Curated authenticity. What I do is really no more different from someone who only posts beautiful pictures of themselves with, you know, all the filters on. They're putting a version out there of the world that they want to see. And the version of myself that I want the world to see is funny, happy, which of course I'm not always. Mm-hmm. And just kind of uh, my Instagram persona is kind of the silly, fun, best bits. And, you know, a lot of, you know, ranting about refugees and <laughs> yeah. that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I've, yeah. Got, I've got my cause as well, but... <laughs> But, 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 but also the there's, a, is, there's a messiness that you're not afraid to show. No. I have no interest on all of those people seeing me online looking a certain way or being some sort of living a perfect life 
And then them meeting me in real life and being horribly disappointed. <laughs> and yet you just wrote a book about three different women who are experiencing a very, like how they're perceived is different than what their inner life is. Yes. Because we all do that. Like, like I just said, I'm doing that. I'm putting out the funny side of me. Like I'm always like, people say, God, you and Christmas just have this hilarious marriage. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we do. I mean, yeah, we have a yeah. great time, but also yeah. like marriages also can be awful and hard and tired. We've got two, like a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. We're always tired. Valentine just doesn't like sleeping. It's like Chris and I both work full-time and we don't have an awful lot of childcare. And it's like this constant battle and constant, and that's the reality of our life. But I'm, I don't want to put that on the internet. Who wants to see that? So I just do the, like the funny bits when, you know, I have a funny interaction in the world. Well, I would argue you do do a little bit of that too. Of that, and yeah. I think what a lot of us respond to is how much you're like, parenthood is not always rosy. Yeah, it is And you isn't. don't, you know, that doesn't mean that you're revealing things about your child, but yeah. it does mean you're revealing things that all of us can relate to in terms yeah. of like, I'm thinking of someone that you posted recently where there was like bubble bath on your stove. I had one of those nights where I was just all the cliches of husband being out and kids finally went to bed and I was like, I'm going to have a glass of wine in the bath. And I poured way too much bubble bath in the bath and it just <laughs> exploded with bubbles. And then I remembered that I put sausages in the oven. So I had to get out the bath. The bath was a bit too hot anyway. So I put the cold tap on, got out the bath, got the sausages out the oven, still covered in bubbles. So there's just like residue of bath left on the oven. But the sausages were saved. <laughs> Forgot about the bath. By the time I go back into the bathroom, and there's so much cold water in it that it's almost freezing and the bubbles are leaking out onto the floor. <laughs> and so I couldn't get back in the bath because there's no hot water left. Mm -hmm. And I kind of shamefully let loads of water go down the drain. So I felt really guilty on an environmental level about that. And I didn't get my bath. And I, so I just like sat in bed, like still some bubbles like <laughs> popping on my legs. Drank my glass of wine in bed. But also importantly, took a picture of it. Yes, took a picture of it, documented it, because that's the kind of thing I think he's sharing. <laughs> I mean, I think there's some lessons for all of us. In I that. think that might have even been my only post that day. And that was the moment that I decided to share a picture of bubbles on the oven. So, when you think about your career and where you are right now, I think part of what we're seeing in your Instagram persona is that it feels like you have peace around. Definitely. And also, like, sometimes I say to myself, I still feel like I used to feel when I made my documentaries, when people called me a journalist, I'd feel really silly. Mm -hmm. It just feels crazy you calling me that. Um, and I had that feeling of being a novelist for a long time. Like, no, that's what, like, 60-year-old women who live in the country and write in their shed and write novels about war and, like, <laughs> properly researched I mean, I'm literally novels. writing a book proposal right now, as you well know, because you helped me with, like, how to think about diving into that. And I truly, when I was approached by a book agent to sort of construct this, I was like, I'm pretty sure books are what older people do. Yeah. And it's like, what? And so what you, was that? I know. And so you kind of presume that. And then recently I've been like, I'm 41. Like, that's a legit age. I'm not, in, I feel 25, but I am 41. <laughs> I've written seven books. I'm like, it's okay for me now to say I'm an author. I'm a novelist. I don't know what more I can do and at what other point in my life where I have to stop feeling like that's an embarrassing thing to say. And so I've definitely got to that point now, which is a real comfort because it's been what I've done for years. But, you know, you just feel silly. It's like, you just, I can't, when I was 35, I didn't, 
hi, I'm an author. Um, what the hell? What does that even mean? I mean, this is a challenge, though. Like, is the answer for everybody listening who's not yet 40 just, like, hold on and you'll get there? Or is it that we can continually work on, you know, like, what that is in us, that imposter syndrome? Yes, basically. but also, like, the, take stock of what it is that you do. If you do it, you are it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you realize. And there's got to be a point where you kind of don't feel silly about the thing that you do and that you're passionate about. And that's what I've finally got to. And I wish I'd felt like this for like the last... I'm married to a man who is really well known. So he was an actor in Bridesmaids. And when he did Bridesmaids, when we first got together, my career had fallen apart. It was going really, really badly. And I was suddenly in the room at all these big Hollywood parties Mm -hmm. and with all of these people who are considered successful. And they would say, what do you do? And I had made... 10, 13 documentaries. I'd already written a book. But because I was going through a bad time, I would just be like, oh, nothing, nothing. I'm just basically a plus one. Mm-hmm. I just had no confidence. And it's such a damn shame because what I should have said is what all of these people in this industry understand or is, work's a bit dry at the moment, but I've done all these amazing things mm-hmm. and I'm, I should be in this room. And it just took me ages to have the confidence to kind of go when they'd say, what do you do? Which everyone asks you in Hollywood constantly to go, I'm a writer and not mm-hmm. feel silly about it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just such a revelation. Mm-hmm. And I just look back on that and go, God, what a waste. What a silly well, thing. And also, I think we all think, and especially this is, I think, a, a woman thing. We all think like, I better take care of the other person and not sort of like oversell myself or sort of come across as too, whatever, too inflated. Yeah. But what we're actually doing is we're not taking care of the other person. Everybody wants us to answer the direct answer. They do. And also one thing that has, like, I've learned from being in this industry now for a long time, my position in Hollywood is strange because I'm in it, but it's not me. I, I'm kind of the the bystander and I observe and I get a different side of people than Chris maybe gets sometimes, mm. maybe a lot more real. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what I've realized is it doesn't matter who you're speaking to in that room, how successful they are, they feel exactly the same way as you do. And no actor at the top of their game Uh, presumes it's going to last forever and everyone's nervous about the next job no matter who they are and I've had conversations with people that you would think never get this feeling Mm -hmm. and they get it all the time and once you realise that everyone's a little bit insecure and every artist is questioning where they're going worried they're making the wrong decisions and I wasn't the only person in the room who used to feel that way yet I presumed I was Mm -hmm. and as soon as you realise that everyone we're all the same then your confidence level can go up because you stop seeing yourself as lesser. That's actually, I mean, I sort of joke that every time in a, in these interviews, I say that's actually the point of my podcast <laughs> and it's usually a different point. So I hope you're following along at home. But, um, but it is literally about our voices, but also about sort of how we conceive of ourselves taking up space and having power and all that in the world. Uh-huh. There is this sense that we often have of this isolated quality of like my experience is just mine and no one gets me and I'm abnormal and I'm insecure when everyone else seems, you know, and obviously social media can kind of exacerbate this problem. But like part of the point of talking about this stuff is saying actually there is like a tapestry of connections of all of us going through some version of this. Absolutely. And that when we have those moments of dare I speak up for myself, dare I even just say what it is that I do without apology in my voice, can I remember that I'm doing this on behalf of all of us, that all of us are here for each other? You saying without apology in my voice is such, I mean, that is that I don't have daughters. If I did, that would be my, the thing I would want to teach them more than anything else is I don't literally mean don't say sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, stop putting yourself down. We do it so much. We do it so much of like, like I did back in the day of like, what do you do? Oh, nothing really. I haven't done anything. What I should have said was, 
I've made documentaries about like geisha in Japan, Mormon polygamists. I've been on the front line of some like really like good news stories. And I was kind of like, but it's not as good as what you do. Or it's, or, not, it's not enough. But I often, I've found myself in like sort of coaching positions when I'm coaching somebody for maybe a presentation they're doing or something like that. But what comes up is that they don't actually love those moments, those sort of right. cocktail banter moments of how do you say what you do. And something that I found that works with almost everybody, maybe everybody, is that if we don't like our title because it doesn't fulfill, you know, sort of the actual idea of what we do, like I was talking about earlier, or we're struggling with like what's currently happening in the moment with mm -hmm. our career and whether or not we can like define ourselves by that, you know. We can figure out with like one sentence that maybe we even like semi-practice ahead of time how to go from what I do to what I love about yes. what I do. Yeah. I'd like to have you talk a little tiny bit about like specific advice for people. Oh. You were very pivotal. It was really just a few minutes when we sat out together on a chaise long at the women's co-working space yes. that we have erstwhile been members of. And I was getting into this book, Proposal Land, and you were like, think of each chapter as a essay, mm -hmm. which was clearly a way of just like taking the pressure off. I know you've said that you sort of sit down to write nine to five every day. Mm -hmm. What happens in the nine to five range? Like, how do you talk to yourself? Well, I, firstly, I've been paid and I have a contract and I don't mean that to sound strange, but like, it's literally my job and I have to do it. And usually it feels like time is sort of urgent. Like well, yeah. Before I had kids, I would 24-7 be able to sit at my computer and now I have to treat my job as a nine to five, which was it took a couple of years to retrain my brain to be able to do that because, you know, being creative and trying to lock that into a few hours a day when you have to sit down didn't work for ages. And now I've got quite good at it. So when when it wasn't working, was it like like full on writer's block or was it full resentment yeah. of like having to juggle or what, you know, what was that? Weirdly, having kids focused me quite well from the start, but I just had to kind of retrain my brain to work within a certain amount of hours. It was a relief, actually, because I get more done in a few hours in a day than I used to in a 24-hour period mm -hmm. when I just had all the time in the world. Mm -hmm. But I have friends who work in the creative industry, and they'll be like, if I have kids, how will I do my job? And I'm like, you'll be amazed. The mm -hmm. focus it gives you and the energy it gives you, weirdly, even though you're always tired, is very useful. And for me and a lot of my friends, it's done us better, like, mm -hmm. with that kind of, you know, focus of time. My career has absolutely gotten better since I had a kid. Yes. Which is a crazy thing to be able to say because I feel like we've all been socialized to think that the opposite is going to be true. It is so true for me and a lot of people I know who work, especially in creative arts or freelance or self-employed, where they have had a rocket put up their ass when they <laughs> have a kid and it just motivates them and focuses them. And for me, that was exactly what happened. So in terms of giving people advice when it comes to writing, I love that masterclass app where you can pay for a subscription. You've got like Margaret Atwood mm -hmm. doing a masterclass in writing. Mm -hmm. And you hear all these kind of people talking about how they do things and then there's no real one formula to do anything. So I am a writer with no massive formula to how I write, but I can see you starting your book and just think one of the scariest things about writing a book is just this blank page, mm -hmm. 300 blank pages that you have to fill. And so you break that down into tiny sections and suddenly you've only got 2,000 words to write that week, which is a lot easier to think about than having 100,000 words to write. So that's my advice. And then, um, you know, I mean, I find giving advice for anything creatively really difficult because mm -hmm. everyone's different. You find your own process, but it's encouragement, really, more important. You and you are yeah, encouraging. just trying to be encouraging more than... And also with writing, I remember someone saying to me when I was in my early 20s and I knocked on this TV exec's door, kind of trembling with a cup of tea for him. And he <laughs> said, what do you want? And I said, I want to be a writer and I don't know what to do. And he said, what have you written? And I was like, nothing. And he went, 
the hardest thing about writing is writing. Mm-hmm. Just sit on the chair and write. And I said, there's a lot of people say they want to be writers and they've never written anything. What's your editing process? My editing process is sending it to my editor and then reading her notes, being really angry about them and then <laughs> taking them on board. <laughs> Generally. Do you, do you push back? As uh, well. Sometimes, yeah. Like, I mean, what is the what is your relationship with also like sort of trusting your instinct on that? Oh, it's absolutely my instinct that wins all the time. But I do. She's my editor. We've been working. We've done four books together now, and she's. I trust her opinion. And when she says that just isn't working, I know it really in my core that it isn't working. Mm. So no, uh, but I'm, I actually get the more I write, the less editing there is to do. I think you get better at knowing your formula and that. My spelling is terrible though so that's oh the main fantastic thing. What oh, a fun fact terrible well, you just have to follow me on instagram to know that i can't spell <laughs> i thought that was typos yeah terrible <laughs> terrible okay great we are gonna take another quick break and then when we come back we're gonna find out who you chose as somebody you want to focus on whose voice you admire and i think it's like a telling about you as well Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Okay, so we're back and we're going to listen to... Who did you pick? I picked Alicia Keys. Anybody who follows you on Twitter might even have like sort of sensed that you might have. I just thought she did such a brilliant job at the Grammys. And what she did so brilliantly, which hosts so rarely do, they can deliver jokes, they can do all these things. What they can't do is make you feel like it's intimate. Mm-hmm. And she, someone said to guy, I host quite a lot of events in the UK. And I used to go at it all wrong. Big voice, trying to be funny, like big... And actually, the time that I was quite hungover, actually, which really helped, <laughs> where I just spoke really... That seems like it goes in the advice category. Yes, it is to drink. Um, when I just spoke really relaxed into mm-hmm. the microphone, knowing that it was amplifying my voice and I didn't need to shout, and just chatted to the audience and kind of jumped off them a bit and made little jokes. That was the best thing, at night of hosting I ever did. And I watched an absolute pro pull that tactic off at the Grammys. And that was Alicia Keys because... We were all in her living room just chatting to her. She was everybody's friend. She made eye contact. She looked around. She was gentle. She was soft. But she was utterly herself. And you felt like the Alicia that you got on stage would be the Alicia that you met backstage. And that is such a skill. And Chris and I were just 
oh, we just thought she was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Everything you said is such a valuable thing for all of us when we have those moments in front of an audience. It all goes wrong when you try and be something that you're not. And some people are those big hosts and they're like that in real life. And other people are just sincere. And if you're sincere and you're you're funny and you're natural, then that's who you should be on stage. And also another way of saying what you just said that I think is really valuable is a lot of us play at some version that we think we should be doing. Yes. Whether it's about hosting or anything. Like a political candidate tends to sound like this, so fuck, I better sound like that, even if it's not my thing. There's such a thing in the UK. There's such the sound of a journalist in the UK mm. where they have this certain inflection and it's quite aggressive. And they kind of talk like this. And when they're, being, when they're on the radio, and they all sound the same. And it's fine. It works. That's what British journalists sound like. But I used to think I need to sound like that. And there's a few recordings of me kind of trying to do that, which I very quickly abandoned because that's not my style and not who I am. And probably why I felt so stupid being called a journalist mm. because I didn't sound that way. Uh-huh. And um, I see Alicia Keys as the ultimate inspiration on how to host an event for someone like me, who doesn't want to be something else. That's right. That's right. And there's something about the phrase that you just used that is so valuable to underline is the same, mm-hmm. which inspires a sort of genericness. Yes. And why would you want to? It is an absolute playing safe move. And if you're in a super vulnerable position, yeah, you know, you're the only woman in an all-male whatever, and you're trying to be taken seriously, there are reasons why we sort of minimize our quirks. Yeah. But like, let's be aware of that and sort of expand in those in those slightly safer spots how much more ourselves we can be. Okay, let's listen. And can I also have a little more piano in my ears, please, so I can properly serenade the people? You know, I need, I need to serenade y'all for a minute. But you know what? I'm proud to be standing here, you know? I am. I am. And I'm proud to be here as an artist, for the artists, with the people. And I feel the energy of all the beautiful artists in this room. It's going to be an amazing night. Well, I just, you know, the bit where she says, um, can I have some more piano in my ears? Breaking that fourth wall. Just or when fucking you're on stage, ask for what you need. Ask for what you need. When there would have been a lot of and performers. And with no apology. Yes, there would have been a lot of performers that would just deal and then not have their not have a great experience themselves. Right. And that's the th- sometimes the thing about that you understand when you're in this, I keep bringing it back to the entertainment industry because that's my world, but if you're not having the best time, then what is the point? If you are lucky enough to entertain for a living and you are holding yourself back or hiding yourself or not having the best time, then what is the point? And you see someone like that, confident enough to say, just turn the piano up so I enjoy this too. Right. Oh, right. I and just also, want to be her. Oh my God. <laughs> and right. I mean, completely. And and also the sort of like creating a facade where something is perfect when it doesn't feel perfect yeah. will not pay off. No, it doesn't. It doesn't do and you any good. And that was the gamble that she took in that moment. I mean, it wasn't even a gamble. It looked like it was completely natural. But I want to point out a few other things too, because God, she fucking killed it. You're yeah. absolutely right. And Part of it is breath. Part of it is it felt like, look, she was playing her own piano underscoring there for those of you uh-huh. who who haven't watched it yet, but go and watch it. And obviously this is a lifelong thing. I mean, she started playing piano when she was tiny. Yeah. Um, note to selves that we should start doing that with her. Yes, yes. 
<laughs> bit late for us, but the kids <coughs> no, should definitely be playing. Yeah, accomplished <laughs> pianists. But, you know, there's something about being so embodied in that way where your fingers are, you know, doing something that your brain is asking them to do while yeah. you're also in the middle of your thoughts in front of millions of people and trusting that, like, the whole f- like, the physical actual system of yourself can do all of that as long as you're breathing, as long as you're trying to not have two realities going on at once. The yeah. one where you're like, everything's perfect. I wish I'd asked for something earlier, but I missed the moment. Yeah. And the one where you want to get something across and, and move people. And if there aren't those two different things going on at once, there's just the, I want to get something across and move people. And how can I, you know, breathe myself into being there? Yeah. You can just tell that she she uses breath in more yeah. of a way of literally getting her sound out, can't you? Yeah. She just feels centered. She feels centered. Yeah. And, you know, she's also sort of famous for not wearing makeup. And this feels like the vocal and performance version of not wearing makeup. Like something that Alicia Keys does that we can all, you know, know. work on in our own life is how do we reveal and reveal and reveal and just not hide. Yeah. And also, how can we get her to be president so she can just sing to us all the time? (laughs) Can you imagine? What did the president say today? Oh, she's just serenading us again and the whole nation is God. delighted. And like the emotional honesty too. I, I mean, know. she was so the right person for the right moment. Yes, I know. That was, yeah. Oh, she was just brilliant. Anyway, it was a real lesson. I'm sure a lot of people just sit back and watch the show, but when you, you we find yourself occasionally in life standing on a stage in front of people and you see someone like that do it, it's a real masterclass in how to do it very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And for all of us, how we... What we can do before we step onto that stage to really, like, put to sleep those voices that are completely not going to help us. I mean, a lot of our conversation has been about those voices as they've come up throughout our life. Yeah. And just being like, I hear you. I hear you. But actually, that's not what people want. (laughs) Yeah. What people want is me. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Oof. Thanks for being you, Don. Oh, you're gorgeous. So welcome. I'm going to crawl back into my cave of insecurity um, after this. I have to. Oh, great. I don't great. know why I'm sitting here. As of course I was talking to you, I have spread my legs wide open. Yes, you have. <laughs> I don't Did you see I've what I was doing most of the like time? Look at this. My life. I, I, sat the, I sat the entire interview while you, by the way, seemed like you were quite dainty. I was quite dainty with my legs crossed. <laughs> and over the course of this interview, my knees are like wide open. Well, what and look what I've been doing this entire this time. I've had I've had an I've had a knee up on the chair. Like I'm like like I'm like taking up as much <laughs> space as as doodly possible. What is this? It's good. I'm it's really, good. I'm quite quite stunned. Yeah. Thanks again, Don. Find her on social, y'all at Hot Patooties. H-O-T-P-A-T-O-O-T-I-E-S. Thank you to Dawn for coming in. You can find out more about her in the show notes or on our website, permissiontospeakpod.com. Also, you can go to permissiontospeakpod.com if you have any awesome quotes you'd like me to read at the top of the episodes. And if you have any questions, I will do an Ask Me Anything episode from time to time. And I want to know what is getting in the way of your voice. You can also send DMs or voice messages to our Instagram at permission to speak pod, where we're posting a bunch of content. And please join the community. Thanks as well to Sophie Lichterman and the team at iHeartRadio, to Megan Reed, to my family and cohort, and to all of you. We are recording this podcast in the iHeartRadio studios in Hollywood on land that used to belong to the Tongva Indigenous Tribe, and you can visit usdac.us to learn more about honoring Native land. 
Permission to Speak is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Vision, executive produced by Catherine Burt Canton and Mark Canton. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.